0: 24. I want to talk to you today about power from on high. As we go through this season that we would call the end times, as I believe we're in, in this generation, we have to remember that God made a promise to his church that he would give us power. So let's look to the promise and let's look to how to receive it. Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and onward says, He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send, somebody say, he's going to send, Amen. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised you, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So there was a theological debate whether or not the Father only sent the Holy Spirit. This text proves to us that both the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit. This is the book of Luke written by the apostle Luke. Now, we normally just think that there's 12 apostles and so forth, but gospel writer are also considered apostolic in nature because they either had eyewitness testimony of the gospel or they themselves knew eyewitness testimony. So uh, I believe that Luke carries apostolic authority, though he's not one of the original 12. That's just uh, a way that I look at what apostolic authority means or uh, someone who has an an apostle calling on their life. He traveled with the apostle Paul. And so whether or not you receive him as uh, an apostle, in that calling, we know he's a gospel writer and he has authority. And so when he's giving to us his gospel recollection, these are the words of Jesus. And they're unique to the gospels. We don't see this in any any of the other gospels. We also know that he's the writer of the book of Acts. So let's now go to Acts chapter 1 and let's see as he records what the apostles are doing. Which I believe he would have been a part of that group, Uh, not necessarily in Jerusalem early on, but later on. So if you could leave the reference there for everybody, please. Thank you. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 3, once again, this is unique. We don't hear this from any other author. This is Luke. He's a historian as well. And so he's now going to kind of teach us what happened after Jesus suffered. It says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So what did Jesus do during this time? Did he come to the Americas and establish the Book of Mormon, you know, or, or have a visit the American people? No. It, it says a to us, very clearly, what he did. He was in this area, he was with them for a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. Uh, oftentimes, when people uh, look to our evidences of Jesus' first and second coming, to how we view it and how we dissect it, because you got to remember the Jewish people only saw it as one coming and they missed it because they didn't see Jesus conquer. Most uh, church historians would say that the way the church began to understand the two comings of Jesus, first as a baby in a manger, then as a lion, a conquering king, came from these 40 days. So sometimes people think, no, it was just the disciples after watching Jesus get crucified. They now want to make up stuff in the Old Testament to kind of fit their narrative. So instead of, like if you talk to a modern day Jew today on why they reject Jesus, they'll say, instead of Jesus fulfilling all of these prophecies, it's better to look at it as they drew the bullseye of Jesus' life and all that he already did, and then they started finding prophecies all throughout the Old Testament to kind of stick to Jesus. And so they would say, these don't really make sense. We don't agree with their interpretation. But these are early on interpretations that we find through uh, the writings of Paul and how they understood things. But we believe that this came from Jesus himself. Jesus himself opens up their eyes, opens up the scriptures, and begins to point out these different things, just so you can understand a little bit more of how to tie together the Old and the New Testament. That's what he was doing. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. So it's the gift of the Father, which you have heard from me, uh, which you have heard me speak about, rather, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. How many see just in those few verses there the triune nature of God? How many see the Father? You see the Father? It's actually written there, the Father. Do you, do you know how to read? Are you up this morning? Do you want to help me out? How many see the Father there? You see the Father right there. Who is me? Where says me? Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Don't let anybody tell you that the understanding of the Trinity came hundreds of years after the apostles and the apostolic authority that came in Scripture. The Trinity is not only revealed in the New Testament writings themselves, but it's also there concealed in the Old Testament, in the experience of the Old Testament saints. While Abraham believes in a God that's greater than him, that is beyond the universe that he can even see, that the universe can't contain him, that his God is spirit, he also meets with with his God face to face, and he does that multiple times, starting in like, uh, well, one significant time in Genesis chapter 18. We know that Moses also believed that God wasn't an image, that God wasn't a person, but at the burning bush, he sees the image of God through an angel, which we would say messenger. When we think of angel, oftentimes we think of a a being with wings. That is not a biblical uh, definition of angel. Angel just simply means messenger. That's all it means. So when the messenger came from heaven, he begins to see that that messenger through the burning bush speaks as God himself. Uh, we actually believe the seraphim and uh, cherubim have wings, but not the angels. Angels are just messengers. That's why when they appear and they come to you, they don't come with wings. They're not like trying to fit into the, the hut there saying, oh, excuse me, I got these wings. Let me fold these in together, then I'm going to fly away. No, they appear as us. They appear as us, but we know they're messengers. When Jacob wrestled with an angel, he wrestled with God, and he knew it was a messenger of God, but then it begins to he, he finds out that this is God himself. And so we know that the Father is God. We know that the Son is God. But now we see that we're going to have a special relationship with the Holy Spirit. And if you want to learn more about the relationship of the Holy Spirit to the Father and the Son, read John chapter 14 and John chapter 16. But we see that this is now tying in together with the last words of Jesus in the the writing of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Jesus said, don't leave. Stay until you are clothed with power from on high. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And then now he says, this Holy Spirit is going to come on you just like John baptized in water. And there was a a significance of the water and there was something that that water represented. Now you are going to be baptized, not with water, but you are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the water representing the death, burial, uh, and resurrection of Jesus or the birth canal of the Spirit, multiple, uh, uh, you know, illusions happening there. But the, the, the water is very real. How many know when you were baptized in water, it wasn't imaginary? You had a real experience with an element, the element of water. Now, Jesus is saying in the same way that John was known for that, in just a little bit, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let's keep going. Verse 6 they then gathered around him and asked him lord at this time are you going to restore the kingdom to israel why is that significant because that would tie into their eschatology the way they understood the end times that's what eschaton means the end times and so uh, they're saying is this the end now is this when you restore the kingdom to israel we rule and reign from israel and take over the world so just notice this 40 days of him teaching about the kingdom helping them understand his first and second coming and the very first question shows they still don't understand it. That shows that all of us are slow to learn at times, are we not? I mean, how many times did he repeat to them the story of the cross and what he was going to do and how he was going to be handed over to the Gentiles? And yet when that time came, they ran away scared and they acted like as if they knew nothing about what was going to happen. He told them very specifically what was going to happen continually. And he had told them, I'm sure, during that time that there must be an expansion of the kingdom. That there must be an engrafting into Israel. Not that Gentiles become Israel in nationality, but they become blessed with Israel, and the kingdom of God absorbs these Jewish, uh, these Gentile, rather, believers. And that we come in, we come into the kingdom because I'm not a Jewish person. So I'm sure that he explained this to them that the Great Commission will go to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles, and then he will come back. But they wanted to ask again, right now. Now, is this what you're going to do? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Now, how many know we're in that uh, waiting period right now? Has the kingdom been delivered to Israel? no we believe here in the uh, various dispensations of God you don't have to be a dispensationalist to attend this church uh, but you you probably should be one if you want to be right uh, half kid uh, most of us here hold to it loosely but the idea of dispensations is God is doing things through different times different dispensations that's what that means and so there was the dispensation of creation and the original intent of God with man in the garden then there was the dispensation until the time of Noah, the dispensation afterward, and and sometimes people call that covenant theology. God is making covenants. God makes a covenant with Adam and Eve. God makes a covenant with Noah. God makes a covenant with Abraham, etc. However you want to look at it, the question is, is really simple. Has the kingdom been brought to Israel? Can we now see Jesus the king ruling and reigning from Israel right now? Do we see the lying laying with the lamb? Do we see peace on earth? Do we see what was promised in the the books uh, of like Isaiah and Jeremiah? Do we see that everyone is worshiping the Messiah under his rule and he's ruling them? No, we don't see that. So we we can either do what a group calls, uh, they're known as the preterists, and they just basically mean all of this happened when Israel was invaded again in 70 AD, or whether they were, uh, the Jerusalem temple was destroyed and they were scattered. They said that that is when God returned the kingdom to Israel. So they literally see Jesus coming in glory, as Daniel talks about. They literally see that as the judgment of God upon Israel. So what all the prophets were th- saying was going to be glorious turns out to be actually uh, just d- destructive. And and then they, you know, they point to it and go, there's the coming of Jesus, there's the return of Israel. And then the way they get around all of that is that Israel now becomes spiritual. Israel is no longer Israel. It's not a land. And a Jew is not really one by descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now Israel is the church, just like the temple were the church. Now we're Israel. Now we're Jews. And now there is no future promise to Israel. There is no future promise to those uh, genetic people because it's already been fulfilled. Does anybody believe that here? If you do, come talk to us afterwards, and we'll pray for you and help set you straight. There's a lot of good people who have believed that. Let's not judge them harshly. They can still be a part of the body of Christ. Nonetheless, they're still wrong. But I like to look at these promises as they were intended. The intent of these promises to Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the Old Testament is that there was a literal kingdom coming with the spiritual kingdom of God. And so, in other words, the kingdom of God is within us to begin with, and it's among us. But then that kingdom actually comes into the real world, and there's a place where he rules. It's called Jerusalem. There is actually a temple there, and there's probably even going to be sacrifices, but they're memorial sacrifices because Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice for salvation. But there'll still be a a memorial unto God. And how many still like to barbecue and eat? And how many know you've got to kill before you eat? And so they'll probably, like I said, be done as a memorial unto God, and we'll rule and reign with Christ a thousand years and there'll be 12 thrones and all of those wonderful things so I believe that that's actually going to happen it's not happened now we're in this place right here and do we know the times or the dates can we set it no we can't and that's why by the way we are pre tribulation rapture folks we believe in the the rapture happening before the tribulation because at any other time you could pretty much know the time or the date If it was a mid-tribulation, then you would know from the signing of the peace treaty with the Antichrist in Israel that it would be about three and a half years. So that takes away the imminent return of Christ. If you were someone that believed that it happened after the midterm, but before the wrath of God, you could actually look at the signs and the bowls of, uh, of wrath, I mean, uh, the seal judgments, and then wait for the wrath uh, to come, and you would know when the last seal is pulled, you're getting out, and then uh, there comes the, the wrath. So there's seals and wrath, and they say, we're, we, we, come, we come after the, um, the seals, but before the wrath. You would know the times in the dates And certainly a post-tribulation rapture, you would know once again the countdown of the seven years because you would know when it begins. Is everybody tracking with me? So understanding what Jesus is saying here is that we are in this time where no one knows when he is going to rapture us and pull us out and then begin to restore the kingdom of God to Israel. And the third temple that they they build is in, um, in that peace treaty with the Antichrist. And then that temple is not destroyed. That's the temple that Jesus Christ will rule and reign from until... Until the thousand years is over. Then when the thousand years is over, all uh, humanity will be judged and then he will come down with new Jerusalem. But remember, for a thousand years, we rule and reign with Christ from Jerusalem, from those thrones of the apostles that they rule and reign on, we are with him. Does everybody believe that here today? If you don't, come talk to Jared afterwards. You know, he'll have all the answers for you. Now, but look at this, because it's so important. I I clarified all of that, because there's some people who just don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, or or the power of the Spirit, that it still remains in the same way. And so I have to explain that. If we're in this time period of waiting for the kingdom of God to come to Israel, then doesn't verse 8 apply to us? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses, watch this, in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to where? The ends of the earth. So that's where we're at right now. And after he said that, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hit him from their sight. So where are we supposed to be? We are supposed to be at verse 8 to the ends of the earth filled with power from the Holy Spirit. That's where we're supposed to be. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We are supposed to be Holy Ghost-filled people that have power. We are supposed to be using that power to be Christ's witnesses. Until when? Until he returns and restores the kingdom of Israel. When did he say he would do that? After these signs and the gospel is spread to the ends of the earth, then the end shall come. That's the end of the church age. We're raptured out of here. As Paul said in Thessalonians, that which holdeth back the Antichrist will be removed and then the Antichrist will be revealed. So what are we supposed to be doing now until that time? Being Holy Ghost-filled preachers. That's what we're supposed to do. Now if you notice here, there is nothing descriptive in the role of the Holy Spirit towards salvation. So often people only see the Holy Spirit as the one that gives them salvation. We know this is important, and it's probably the most important role of the Holy Spirit as it pertains to us and Him. He may have other roles that we don't know about, but all that we know from Scripture is that the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit does not rebirth you and make you new, you can have no relationship with God. So through the Holy Spirit, you're born again. Now you can communicate with the Father through the Son. But you can't go, listen everybody, just like we can't come to the Father without the Son, we cannot come to the Son without the power of regeneration and rebirth by the Holy Spirit. We do not have the ability to have an inward relationship with Jesus unless the Holy Spirit abides with us. But notice in this context that there is nothing descriptive of the Holy Spirit in terms of salvation. Does it say here, and the Holy Spirit will come on you and you will be saved? No. At the end of the book of Luke, did Jesus say to them, and you'll be clothed with salvation from on high. Is that what it says? No. So what are these texts already assuming to the audience? To the one he said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to receive power. What is it already assuming? That you have received the Holy Spirit for salvation. Now, We can't turn there here because our karaoke screen is broke, but open up your Bibles with me to the book of John. Use your phone or your paper Bible, and John takes us a little bit further in the conversations that Jesus had post-resurrection. Post-resurrection. He gives us a little bit more detail. If someone could grab me a bottle of water, please, that would be nice. I got something stuck in my throat. Uh, Look at... Look at what he does, Jesus, after he resurrects, John chapter 20, John chapter 20, verse 22. John chapter 20, verse 22, it says, And with that he, meaning Jesus, breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So now we should all go to Father Tom and confess our naughty secrets, right? Because it says to do that. No, if I receive the Holy Spirit according to that and I'm born again, thank you, does that now mean Father Tom has a place over me in that scripture? No, because we're all receiving the same Holy Spirit. So why did he say to them initially, you can forgive sins? Because this is the role of the church, universal, is that we teach what forgiveness uh, includes or those who must, uh, what they must do to receive forgiveness. And we know when they don't do it, if they're not going to receive forgiveness. Our preaching is a very specific kind of preaching. The Muslim and other religions may say, Inshallah, like the Islamic person will say, I don't know, only God knows, only God knows. And into one sense, we agree with that, God only knows, but we can tell you by looking at your life whether or not your sins have been forgiven based on your confession, your doctrine, and your fruit. And that's what anybody can do who's been saved. You can relate those words to other people. And if you say to them, your sins are not forgiven, you have not done what the scriptures have commanded, you have not done what I've done, you have authority to preach that to them from the word of God. But not to get distracted with that, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So according to John, as we piece together the chronological order of Jesus' time with them, had they already received the Holy Spirit before the outpouring on the day of Pentecost that we're about ready to get to in Acts chapter 2? Yes. Did this happen before or after Acts chapter 2, this breathing on them? Before, because he ascends to heaven at the end of Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 2, he's gone, and he's been gone for a while because the time frame that he had been with them to the day of Pentecost is around 10 days. Are you listening to me? Penti meaning 50. He was with them 40 days after Passover. Penti is 50 days from Passover, so you minus uh, 40 from 50. You've got 10 days. Jesus has been gone for 10 days. So if John says here that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, is that before or after Pentecost? Before, half the class is with me. Where's the other half of the class? Are you guys like somewhere deep in your mind right now? Still trying to figure out if you should go to Father Tom and get your sins forgiven? Or are you just lost in this right now? Is this so deep for you? I'm really trying to make this so simple. Trying to make it simple. Help me out here. Jesus is with them 40 days and then he goes away and then 10 days later they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit like they were baptized in water. They're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're going to learn about that in Acts chapter 2. The breathing here where he says receive the Holy Spirit, did that come before or after Pentecost? It had to be before, amen? It had to be during those 40 days. It had to be during some time when Jesus was actually with them. So what's the only way around that? who uh, doesn't understand or believe our narrative here, they'll say this was symbolic. Jesus was doing a Benny Hinn with them. Jesus was blowing on them, saying, receive the Holy Spirit, but actually nothing happened. Nothing really happened. He was just blowing, (laughs) blowing his hot breath on them. You know what I'm talking about. Benny Hinn, blowing everywhere. But literally, literally nothing was there. I don't believe that's even possible. How, do I not, how can I not even accept that? The breath of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ breathed the image of God into us in the beginning of creation. There is nothing that he can do at this point. Besides impart spiritual blessings when he's breathing. He is the God man. There is no just oxygen of breath. He doesn't need oxygen. Are you listening? He's not breathing oxygen in and out of himself. He is a spiritual being residing in a glorified body. You are going to be just like that minus being God like him but you will share in divinity like him so you'll be godly. You'll be like him but you will not be one of the persons of the Trinity. You will not be worshipped. There's only one God, Father, Son, and Spirit but you will partake of the divine nature hence your resurrection body uh, will come from his resurrection. Because he resurrected, you can resurrect. My bottom line is we don't need lungs anymore to breathe. So what in the world is he breathing? He is breathing through himself the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and him are in union. And when he releases the Holy Spirit to do the work of regeneration, which is the entire point of the book of John. The entire point of the book of John, after I should say, after showing us who the Messiah and the Son of God is in nature and the work of redemption, is that we are to participate with Him and be born again, have a relationship with Him and share our lives with Him. That's why in the Book of John it talks about being born again and, and, and having that personal relationship with God. It's not just you know something from the outside that you're worshiping, it's something from the inside coming through you. And so John is ending with the crescendo here. I've been telling you about the Holy Spirit from John chapter 3. The author John here, right? He's like, I've been telling you about Jesus' teachings about the role of the Holy Spirit. I've shown you in these chapters where the other apostles didn't describe who he was and what he would do. And then I end it with Jesus breathing him into us. Now let's go back to the notes. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, this Jewish festival, they were all together, those disciples who had heard Jesus that that were told not to leave until they were clothed with power from on high to receive the promise of the Father, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. All three of those descriptions describe what's about ready to be happened here. Clothed with power from on high, receiving the promise of the Father or the gift of the Father, and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. So you're seeing like what they would say tongues of fire. So it's maybe like that part of a fire that kind of moves like that. So all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and got saved? Is that what it says? And all of them got filled with the Holy Spirit and got born again? All of them got filled with the Holy Spirit and their sins were forgiven. No, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So why am I emphasizing this today? I'm emphasizing this because we ought to have the same experience. And some people stop with the Holy Spirit just making them born again. And they say, well, I'm a Christian. The Holy Spirit's in me. My sins are forgiven. And I can preach the forgiveness of sins to others. Isn't that good enough? That's not where God wanted us to stop. That's not where Jesus wanted the story of your salvation to stop. You are truly saved. You're going to heaven. This is not an issue of salvation, but God wants you to have more. He wants you to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. And he gave us the sign that they were filled with the Spirit. They spoke in tongues or languages, glossolalia. They spoke in unlearned languages as the Spirit enabled them. That's the sign that they were given the baptism of the Spirit, that as water came upon them, when they were baptized like in a John's baptism, like in your water baptism, water came upon you. Now the Holy Spirit is upon you to do the works of God. Let's keep going down. Let's now go to Acts chapter 2.14 and onward. So the the Holy Ghost party stops. uh, Stops. No, it doesn't stop. I meant the Holy Ghost party starts. And they're in an upper room, they come down, now they go out to the festival, and he stands up with the 11, raises his voice, Peter here, and he addresses the crowd, and he says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. So imagine this, they're all speaking in languages, some are understood, maybe some are not understood. It looks like a lot of commotion, and he says, it's only 9 in the morning. No, this was what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now notice, this is an Old Testament prophecy that he's using to describe this moment. Could this have been some of the passages that Jesus was explaining to them? That there had to be an outpouring before the coming kingdom that there had to be a dispersing of the gospel before Jesus judged the world. These are the kinds of passages that you probably wouldn't have understood in the New Testament context. A Jew, in other words, without uh, relating to these moments, would not see it this way. But now the eyes of the apostles, the leaders, are open, whether it was directly from Jesus at that time or the Holy Spirit's inspiration, He now points back to an Old Testament prophet, and he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Does everybody see how significant that is? We learn a couple things. The last days are upon us. The last days, plural, are upon us. And I like to say we're in the last moments of the last hour of the last day. But uh, Peter now says the last days are upon us. And that now means that there's going to be days that pass before the kingdom comes. And so now there's going to be some significant things that are going to happen during this time period. Well, the first thing that Joel says and that Peter says is happening right in front of them is that the Spirit is going to be poured out on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Who were the ones doing all the prophetic work back in the day? The prophets, kings, and priests. All of them were used at various times to bring forth this power of God to demonstrate it to the people. Moses brought forth the power of God. David brought forth the power of God. Judges like Samson brought forth the power of God. But primarily they were in the offices of priest, king, and prophet. And now what is Joel saying? And and what is Peter saying that's happening right in front of them? Everybody's getting this power. Everybody. Sons and daughters, young people, old people, male, female. Everyone is going to have a chance to see visions. That is to see something like a movie in front of you, but you're awake. A vision is a spiritual experience where you see something from God while you're awake. It's not a daydream. It's similar to that, but it's something that's spiritual. And then you'll dream dreams. You'll be sleeping, and you'll have spiritual dreams. You'll be able to do the things that these certain select people only used to be able to do. Now everyone is getting to participate in this experience. John Wimber, the founder of Vineyard, when he first got saved out of being in a rock and roll band, he had an experience with God and so he comes to church looking to be discipled and he started going from church to church and what he was reading in the Bible wasn't happening in the church service so he walked up to one of the leaders and he said, when do you do the stuff? And they asked him, well, what stuff are you talking about? He's like, the stuff here in the Bible, when do you do the stuff? Come on, look at your neighbor and say, it's time to do the stuff. When, when, when do you do the prophesying? When do you do the casting out of devils? When do you do the healing of the sick? When, when do you do the tongues and interpretations? When, when do you do the stuff? And some people say, well, that's not for now. That was for then. Now do you understand why I spent so much time in the eschatology and our beliefs? It plays hand in hand into your belief of spiritual gifts. Why would God be sending us out to preach the gospel with any less power than what he gave his disciples? Some people say it was just there to confirm the word of God, but there is no expiration date on it that once the word of God is now given to the apostles in the apostolic age and their authority that now we no longer need gifts. Do you think I can just go to a demon-possessed person and go, uh, here's the Bible. We don't need to cast, uh, cast the demon out of you anymore. We have a Bible. No, the Bible actually says go out and cast demons. Cast them out. We don't just show the Bible to the sick person and go, here's the Bible. We don't need to do a miracle anymore. No, we go to them and pray for them. Do we do that with any of the other good works of the Christian? No, I, I, you know, I don't feed the poor anymore. I just show you a Bible. Here's a Bible. No, we have to now be living epistles. We have to live out the Bible. And some people then say back to us on the other side. Well, is now what you're saying, uh, all these miracles, are these now inspired like Scripture? Because, you know, Scripture puts in, uh, you know, has all these narratives of the miracles. So that means if you have a tongue or interpretation of a tongue, you have a prophecy, you see a miracle, that that somehow now means it must become Scripture. No, because the Bible even says all the prophecies and all of the miracles and all of the things that happened in Jesus' time and the apostles' time was not even recorded. So just because there's been a miracle or a prophecy doesn't mean we treat it now as scripture. God was very, uh, uh, you know, had forethought of what he wanted the Scripture to be. We have the Scripture. We're not trying to replace the Scripture or its authority with our belief and gifts of the Spirit. What we're simply doing is following what the prophet Joel said. How many believe you're in the last days? How many believe God's pouring out a Spirit on all people? How many of you are included in all people? Well, then come get you some. Come get you some, amen? Come get some power of the Holy Spirit and start doing what God told you to do. You can have as much as you can receive. Jesus said, even these works that I do, shall you do even greater. And then what does he say? Verse 19, then I'll show the wonders in heaven and the sky above, uh, you know, the wonders in heaven and signs on the earth, all of these things. These are what we read about in the book of Revelation. The sign gifts will be here until this time. Some even believe the sign gifts will continue after the rapture. I'm not sure about that. I know that the two witnesses have that power, but I'm not sure if the other ones will have that power because it looks like what we call the tribulation saints are just being destroyed very quickly, being beheaded, and it doesn't look like they're a mighty church. And so part of them not accepting Christ during the church age is that they're basically accepting Christ during the tribulation age, and they're doing it unto death. That's pretty much it. But I can promise you this. The rapture has not happened. There is no question about that. We are here during the church age. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is still upon us, and we should be doing these signs and wonders. Amen? Now, look at verse 21. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the only time that really salvation is brought up In this context of Acts chapter 2, salvation comes from doing what? Calling on the name of the Lord. And who do we know the Lord to be? Jesus. What's amazing about that context is that the Lord there is Yahweh, the Old Testament name for God, and now we call him Lord Jesus. We don't mean landlord. We mean Yahweh Jesus. Whoever calls upon Jesus as Yahweh will be saved. You can show that to your Jehovah's Witness friends, and that will rock them a little bit because Paul repeats that again, that you must confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Jesus Christ is what? Lord. And then at the end of that passage in Romans chapter 10, it says this again, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So who am I confessing Jesus as? Jesus as Yahweh. Jesus as the God of the Israelites. But once again, how am I saved? By getting water baptized? Am I saved by speaking in tongues? Am I saved by being filled with the Holy Spirit? No, I'm saved by calling on the name of the Lord. Does everybody see that? We don't have time to get into the rest. I'll just stop right there. Let's have uh, Vinny come up because I want to take our time now to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's put it all together. Let's put it together. And you could just put up uh, our, our yeah default page. Thank you. Everybody think about this. We are in the last days right now. Here we are. You were born into the last days. You were born into a time where the gospel has been going forth with power and with conflict. Most of us have always known abortion to be legal. Most of us have grown up knowing that homosexuality is a part of culture. Most of us have grown up with violence, divorce, pornography. Come on, can I hear an amen? Isn't this true? We're in the last days. Most of us have grown up with false Christs, false prophets, false religions. We've grown up with uh, the other signs happening, famines, pestilences and plagues around our world, AIDS. So let me ask you a question. If in fact you are in the last days, what are you supposed to have? What are you supposed to have in these last days? You're supposed to have power from on high. You and I are supposed to have a saturation of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, similar to how we were saturated with water when we were water baptized. We are supposed to be living in such a time that when the people of God gather, Jesus is in the midst. There are prophecies. There are languages of heaven and languages of earth that we have not learned, and they're interpreted into the gospel. Paul said sometimes somebody will understand the language, but when you're praying, you'll never understand it, so it's a mystery to you, but sometimes they might, and if they don't, there has to be an interpreter if you're going to speak it to someone else. So when you're given the gift of tongues, don't speak it to someone else. Speak it to God, because the Bible says it's, it's mysteries between you and God. But in my time of speaking those tongues to to God, people from other countries, and I have this documented on my website. You can go to our website, and you can put in tongues and look at testimonies. I have been keeping track of the major testimonies of miracles and sign gifts in my life since I've been saved. And I've been trying to do it with two or three witnesses. I was speaking in tongues in a prayer meeting in Bible college, And a man from India was there, and he rushed out. And then my friend Glenn, who some of you have met, he went out after him, and he said, What's going on? And he said... I was taught as a Christian that this stuff was demonic. What you guys do as Pentecostals, you know, that's kind of what we're known as charismatics. Charismatic charisma after the gifts, the word gifts in the, in the Greek. Pentecostals from the day of Pentecost. Okay, so that's why we're known as that. He ran out and he said, I, you know, he told Glenn, I, I don't believe really any of that stuff and I, and I thought you guys were being possessed of spirits just like how I see in our villages and in our country. But when that man started speaking, talking about me, he said he was speaking in my language and he was telling me God was saying this is for me this is the power that I need to preach the gospel these testimonies have happened not only with me but multiple people all across the world one of the great testimonies that come forth from the early Pentecostal days is that some of them had their tongue be the language of the nations they would go to, to the point where they thought that if you got a tongue that was a nation, they would try to write out their tongue, figure out the nation that speaks that language, and go. That's how much it was happening. You can read about that in Frank Bartleheim's accounts of the Azusa Street Revival. What about healings and miracles? Read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Obviously in our discipleship, we go through this more. Anyone here would love to talk to you more about that. But I just want you to get hungry for it today. What about miracles? What about casting out of demons? Do you want to see those things? Do you believe that God has an answer for the problems we're facing today? i've seen those things why why have i seen them because i'm better than you i'm more spiritual than you no because i've asked to receive power up from on high i remember the first time i saw real demons cast out i'm not talking about church demons i'm not talking about somebody just falling out i'm talking about watching someone experience uh you know something that you would probably pay to go see in a horror movie and when i saw that i said man this is so real i've always believed in it But I want to be able to do that because that person was so tormented. And when they got set free, the joy that it brought them, the peace, I want to bring that to others. You know, you feel that love for others, people who are truly demonized, not just crazy people. I wish I could cast the crazy out of people, but you can't do that. You can cast the demon out of people, right? You can cast the demon out. But you, you can't cast the people out of the demon. The people who want to keep going back to that demon, you can't, you can't change people's wills. Only they can decide to change their will to the things of God. Not my will, but your will be done. But anyways, I got so hungry for it because I saw the peace that it brought these folks. And so I came back to my church after that conference, and I said, Lord, would you just use us to set free some folks in this community? Because we were working in the inner city, a lot of drug-addicted people there, and I know not all of them were demon-possessed, but I know some of them were afflicted, deep, and spiritual, and it was just tormenting. And one day, a man came to our church asking for help late at night, and we brought him in and doing all that we could to help him. He eventually came to stay with me because I would bring you know homeless people into my house and help people out. And as he was there, we just started to pray. It wasn't a loud, shouting Pentecostal, Hallelujah, Jesus. It wasn't one of those. It was really just like 10 o'clock at night. We got to go to bed, but I'm going to pray for you right now. And we were just like, Father, in the name of Jesus. I mean, within moments, everything changed about him. He went to screaming, convulsing, falling on the floor. He was riling like a snake on the floor, sideways on his hips. And my friend and I, man, we were ready. We were so excited. We jumped on top of him, started speaking in tongues, saying in the name of Jesus, get out. We saw that man literally just go limp on the ground. And then he came to. And then he just started jumping and shouting, talking about how he had been delivered. I watched him weeping, clapping his hands right in front of me. That fast, that instantaneous, demons cast out. Boom, gone. I've come to churches like this ever since I've been a Christian. And I've got lists of prophetic words that I've even seen come true in my life. But if I was to keep all of the prophecies that I've ever witnessed, it would be a book. There have been prophecies all throughout this church. And some of you have experienced them. How many of you have experienced prophecies? Someone speaking into your life, someone telling you about the future or something comforting you. This is real because the Holy Spirit is real. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a person, and we need to allow him to clothe us with power. Would you stand up with me, please, as the band and altar workers come? I know I'm going late. Second service folk who come early, you're going to get double right now in Jesus' name. That's what you get for coming early. Amen. We love the early folks. You're going to get this altar call and your altar call. Amen. How many want power? How many, (laughs) you want it, yes. But it's not just the raw emotion, I want power. But how many want it for the sake of others? How many want to be able to go out and bring deliverance? Man, I'm looking at you, Charlie, and you remind me of some of the guys I would uh, minister to in New Orleans. And I know Jesus has changed you. But I just mean in your in your neck of the woods where you be who you hang out with you know what I mean because when we would go to Wright College I met a lot of your friends and I don't think it would be wrong to say druggies right perverted I was taking home a young person from um, Bourbon Street French Quarter and he was in my car listen to me Josh truth right here we're just driving it was church van actually driving and uh I took him off the streets, homeless guy. And he was really humble while I was preaching to him. He said, man, I'm a back then they called him gutter punks. He said, man, I live on the streets. I'm a street kid. And I was like, man, I'd love to help you out. I, you know, I have a program for you. And he said, yeah, I'd love to do it. And I talked to this young man at least probably an hour on the streets. I'm not just kidnapping people in the church van, bringing them to my house. Okay. So, I mean, I got to know this guy. I'm sharing my testimony. He's sharing what he's going through. I ask him if he wants to accept Christ. He says he does. Uh, you know, I, I offer him some help, you know, and we're building a relationship, and I'm saying, okay, well, let's let's start it off. You know, bring you to my house, and I'll get you to a program, all of that. And we're just driving back, and all of a sudden, while we're driving back, he just he's just getting all itchy, like he's tweaking on drugs. And I'm like, well, I've seen that before when I've brought people home. But then he starts making noises. I'm talking those kind of noises in the horror show. So y'all ready for this? I had to pull the van over. I'm driving. I had to pull the van over and go in the name of Jesus. I cast you out of. And, and I'm telling you, screeches, hollers came out of that man that would not be natural. And then what happens the next moment? Tears of deliverance. Tears of joy. And then I asked him, I said, What happened to you? He said, When I accepted Jesus into my heart, I began to hear this voice tell me that he was going to kill me and he wasn't going to let me live for Jesus and that I was going to die and that you were going to die. We were all going to die. And I'm like, thanks for telling me that now, you know. And he said, when, when when I got into the car, I, in my heart, I started wrestling with it. I was like, I don't want that. You know, like in his heart, he's saying, I don't want that. I don't want to hurt anybody. And, and you're not going to hurt anybody. You know, he was, however he was wrestling with it in his mind. And he said, as he tried to fight it, that's when all that power battle started happening. And then at that moment, he said, I got out of control. He said, I don't remember much what happened next. And I said, man, you started screaming and hollering. I had to pull over the van prophetic words, demons being cast out, sick people being healed, prophecy being spoken about you to the future because God knows what the future holds. Let's pray. Father, we want power from on high. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, would you repent of your sins and be born again? I can tell you if you're doing it right. If you need help, they'll tell you if you're doing it right. The Bible says that if you confess that he is Lord, you will be saved. If you need help doing that, come to these prayer workers. If you want to confess your sin to them so that they can confirm you're doing it right, they will do it. But remember, they are not the one who gives salvation. But if you need help with that, even come now as we get ready to worship. Get saved today. Get the junk out of your life. Get sin out of your life. If you would say, well, yeah, I'm probably saved. I think I'm saved. Well, come on, just rededicate your life to the Lord right now. If you would say, well, I'm saved, but I know I got you know habitual sin. Get that out right now. Do not live backslidden. Do not live half in and half out. If that's you, come on up right now, whether it's your first time or hundredth time doing a prayer like this. Come on up. Make sure you're saved. Make sure you know that you're saved. You have assurance that the Holy Spirit is in you because he's working on you right now. Trust me, the devil doesn't want you to come up to an altar call. I don't know if it's me. Trust me, it's not you either. Only Jesus would be prompting you to get right with Jesus today. That's the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit would take the time out to speak to you to come do this. Now for everybody else, if you're already a Christian, a Christ follower, born again, would you raise up your hands and say, Holy Spirit, give me power from on high. And if you are already baptized in that power with the sign of speaking in tongues, would you begin to do so between you and God? It's not a message for anybody. We're not worrying about the interpretation. We're doing what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14. We're uttering mysteries between us and God. And if you are not uh, baptized in that same way with that sign, just right now ask the Lord to do it. Fill me with the Holy Spirit, Jesus. If you're someone who's already gone through these arguments and you're not convinced, we'll talk to you later. Trust me, we do this all the time. We have it in our Bible study materials. But right here, it's just for hungry hearts. And the Bible says you don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit because if a father knows how to give a fish to a child if they're hungry, how much more does he know to give us the Holy Spirit? For power. For power. This is not for your salvation. We are not saying you have to do this to be saved. We're saying that you get to do this because you're saved. You've been given power to be a witness. If that's you and you need some encouragement, come on up to these altar workers. The rest of us I'm going to dismiss now, and I'm going to turn this into a prayer slash worship meeting, which you'd even begin right now, please. Thank you. Father, bless us today. Fill us with your power. Bless those who are going out preaching this week, oh God. Keep us safe, those leading Bible studies. Give us the power of the Holy Spirit to be sons and daughters in these last days prophesy and bring forth your word. In Jesus name. And everybody said Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. You are dismissed. If you want to worship, come on up. If you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, come on up. If you want to live for Jesus, come on up. Otherwise we'll see you during the week. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for coming.